Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Some of these episodes, most of these episodes, are LGBTQ queer people sharing their story, and that will be the focus of this episode. And um, my guest today is a BYU student who's close to graduation, Devora Stuckey. Welcome to the podcast, Devora. Thank you for having me. Um, Devora is going to share her story. She is 19 years old and graduating from BYU. And if that doesn't jolt you a little bit, that's pretty unusual. Um, she started taking BYU classes while at high school. You're the youngest person I've ever met that's graduating from BYU at 19. Is that really unusual or has that happened before? I think it's pretty unusual. I'm the youngest in my graduating class this year. You are the youngest in your graduating class. Yes, sir. Tell our listeners what you're graduating in. I am graduating in bioinformatics, which is um, data analysis that has to do with biology. And um, before we get in your story as a queer Latter-day Saint, tell us just a little bit about, um, take us back to high school, and you're just, this may be helpful for others that are wondering if they can accelerate their college experience before high school's over. Talk about... You grew up in Utah County. Just take us back to high school when this whole idea came into your mind, and maybe it was junior high to get college classes so you could graduate early. Yeah, of course. So in high school, I was a chronic overachiever. Um, so basically, what happened is I got to my junior year and I really only had three classes left that I needed to take. And I'm like, might as well keep this ball rolling. And I was right next to BYU. And BYU had a program where if you applied and you were 17 or older, you could get in and do college classes cheaper. So I just, I started doing that and eventually I was taking a full course load at 17 um, because I've never been able to say no to a thing. And it was a great experience, honestly. So you were taking a full college course load at 17. Yes, sir. Did you go to BYU or did you take those classes online or satellite or how does that work? I went to BYU for those classes. Yeah. That's great. And um, tell, do you have a feeling for what you'd like to do for your career now that you've got this degree under your belt? Do you have kind of a dream job or is that still a little bit too to be determined? Yes, I'd like to work in the long term. I'd like to work in uh, the medical field doing data analysis. Uh, my, re- my experience right now is all in biology research and I'd like to continue that. Talk just a little bit about the type of research you'd like to do in the medical field. Yes, I like big data analysis. Um, My favorite thing about that is I feel like you get to sit behind a screen with like a bunch of numbers and to anyone else it would look like nonsense, but there really is like a concrete way you're helping people there. One of my favorite projects I've worked on so far is I was working at a transgender health clinic and I was able to see what needs those trans kids needed and how we can better make sure that they didn't get lost in the system and how healthcare providers were being aware of their specific needs as trans patients. I love that. That's really cool. I love the way I'm kind of a data guy, but I don't have the expertise you do, but I love the way data can help us make better decisions. And I love all the great research and data work being done in the medical area to help us understand how to improve people's lives. And it's sometimes we're aware of the caregivers that deliver the treatments to us and the frontline people, but I recognize there's a lot of researchers kind of behind the scenes that are doing the research, um, the trials, and the and sort of the behind-the-scenes work that then results in improved treatments into people's lives. If I'm using the right vocabulary, listeners. No, that was great. Um, Deborah's, Devorah is going to share a little bit about her decision to, about her experience at BYU. And every um, queer Latter-day Saint at BYU has a different experience. Some are... Some And so um, I think as she shares this experience, she will talk about some of the things that were okay and some of the things that were very difficult. Some might ask, well, why would you have somebody on the podcast that's going to talk about difficult experiences at BYU? And it's just this platform I'm trying to create a safe place for people to share their experiences. I love and support BYU, but sometimes when I hear a story, um, it helps me to do better. When we know better, we do better. So. If you don't want to listen to a podcast where someone's going to share some difficult experiences at BYU, this may not be your podcast. But if you are willing to do that, it may give you impressions on how to improve the experience for queer people in your circle of influence, whether that's a family, um, a school setting, or a church setting. 
Is that okay for sort of groundwork? That sounds great. But before we get to your experience at BYU, talk about how you identify. I've kind of inferred that, but just tell our listeners how you identify. Yeah, I have identified as a lesbian since I was 16. And tell us about the queer label. Yeah, I use queer mostly as an umbrella term. Uh, I use them interchangeably. I know that's not everyone's experience, but I think them pretty interchangeably. What would be the best label for me to use in this podcast? Why don't you use queer? Okay. I'm going to use queer. Um, talk about, you've kind of talked about, um, just talk about coming out. When did you realize you were queer? And then when did you tell anybody about being queer? Those are two very different timelines. <laughs> I realized I was queer when I was 16 years old, um, which was my last year of high school full time. Um, and I told a couple of my closest friends about it, but it was really hush hush while I was living in my parents' home. Um, and then I came out when I was 19 last summer. Um, and that was when I came out to pretty much everyone in my life. That's when I told my parents, um, most of my friends and I published on Instagram. Uh, so everything changed in like 24 hours. It's a crazy day. <laughs> cool. Um, thank you. Um, Devora. talk about age 16. Um, I'm thinking at age 12, you're, you know, at it by the age 16, you know, you're queer. Just talk about the reality of that, how you felt about that. If it filled you with hope, fear, um, if it was a, just kind of walk us into the emotions you felt, um, realizing that you weren't straight. Yeah. I think it was a long process for me because I didn't really know anyone who was queer. I didn't, or a lesbian. I really had no experience with other people, so I didn't know how they felt. Um, I feel like one of the moments that really like made it obvious to me is I was talking to someone and I'm like, yeah, so you know how, when you have a crush on boys, you kind of like take like your five or 10 best options. Then you like analyze which one's the best suited for you. And they're like, no, that doesn't make any sense. Nobody's like making spreadsheets about this. You're thinking way too much. Um, and that's kind of when I realized that I was trying way too hard to be attracted to men in my life when relationships with women, even friendships came way easier to me. Um, and that not everyone had to try this hard to form romantic relationships. And then kind of once like that thought was allowed to enter into my brain, I was able to like brittle it out and it started to make sense. And did that emotionally, what was that like for you? Was that some, it puts them in a really difficult, dark spot. Um, some it's okay. Talk to us how you felt emotionally realizing you're not straight. It was it was a really difficult time. It was really hard because I didn't really I didn't really know what it meant for my life. Like I had a lot of plans. Um I was going to get married in the temple and I was going to do all these things and it kind of threw a wrench and all of that. So it was really this feeling of hopelessness and anger almost because it felt so outside of my control. Um and there was nothing I could do about it. Did you think for a period of time it was within your control or something had happened to your life that caused you to be queer that you could somehow undo? Definitely. Yeah. I definitely went through a phase right after I realized I was queer where I thought that if I just prayed hard enough, I could at least make it work. Even if I wasn't attracted to men most of the time, I, all I needed was one shot and I thought I could get that one shot, um, which obviously doesn't work that way. but. I think it's important to note this was kind of in the time of the Mormon and gay website, which if you don't know what that is, it's a website that was produced by the LDS church. Um, and it was kind of a bunch of these like stories and like five minute inspirational videos, mostly about gay men in the church who had been able to marry a woman and be in a mixed orientation marriage and just kind of make it work. And I feel like that was kind of my mindset of, I just needed someone I could make it work with. Um, as opposed to someone I would like love and really want to enter a marriage with, which isn't fair. <laughs> and is that still an option for you or have you decided that really isn't going to be a possibility for you? Um, I think for me, and I don't want to speak for anyone else, but I think for me, I couldn't do it. I think if I cared about someone enough to marry them, I would want them to be in a relationship with someone who cares about them as much as they do. And I support you in that answer. Uh, and I love the grace you've extended before you answered that question, that other you can't speak for others, and that's 
grace is the best word I can use is you're just trying to share your story and honoring other people's stories. That was a very thoughtful response. And um, talk then about um, why you decide to come out at age 19. At age, I think you said age 19. Yeah, at age 19, that's right. Um, there was really a bunch of things. Part of it is I just really wanted to be able to talk about my experiences. Um, the year before, my or my freshman year at BYU, uh, was the year of the 2020 policy change, which is when BYU said, took out the part of the honor code that said queer students couldn't date on campus. And then they walked it back. And I feel like that was the first time I really saw LGBTQ members come together and form like a community. And I thought it was fantastic that they were able to come together and protest this thing that they thought was unjust. And it was the first time I saw really like any media coverage at BYU that wasn't positive and glowing reviews. Um, and I feel like it was that experience that made me really want to be able to speak about my own journey at BYU and kind of how that affects being a student. And that was a difficult experience for a lot of um, people, uh, especially my queer friends, even my straight ally friends that I think is, and help me if I misspeak, but um, BYU's honor code has had a, I'm paraphrasing the wording for gay students, no sign of romance, you know, no, which I think would be hand-holding or cuddling or kissing. And then that just sort of left the honor code. It wasn't announced that it left. People just noticed it wasn't there. And the feeling at the time was that um, straight students and gay students were giving the same honor code. They had to live the law of chastity. It was more of a principles-based honor code versus a slightly more restrictive honor code for gay students, lesbian students. And that lasted for a period of time. And then those, that wording that I mentioned earlier was put back in, which is still in that there's no, for gay students, lesbian students, there's no, I can't, maybe you can help me with the, there's just no display of same-sex affection. Yeah, I would say that's the unspoken rule. I feel like the bigger problem is that there's no explicit rules on what is and isn't allowed, which leaves a lot of queer people kind of lost. And um, you can try to interpret the rules yourself. But if you do it wrong, there's still a lot of consequences for those actions. And so that's fair. And I think, um, I think as Latter-day Saints, we can express empathy for um, people walking that road and, and the complexities of that, and even trying to do what you what you th trying to do what you what BYU outlines and have it change is hard because um, it opened a door to a more of a principle-based honor code and then changed. And it's kind of this whiplash effect, and it can be pretty unsettling. So I would validate the pain you felt um, in that experience and for other listeners that have felt the same pain. A lot of pain around that change. And as a latter, committed Latter-day Saint, I've learned that validating pain doesn't make me a less committed Latter-day Saint. In the lives of others, I can sort of support and sustain our church and validate the painful experiences that people are having even if they're related to the church. And often it doesn't drive the wedge between them and the church deeper. It's just a chance to heal potentially a little bit as we honor the, the realities and the difficulties of your life. So that was a pretty difficult experience. And I was aware of the protest and some of the things that happened. It sounds like that created a community for you of other queer students. Do you want to share more about that? Yeah, I remember, I don't remember. I think it was the first day of the protest. I was minding my own business. I was walking past the administration building and um, I was kind of keeping my eyes on the ground because I'm like, if they see me, they'll know, they'll know that I'm queer. And I was so deeply in the closet at that time. That was a terrifying thought to me. But I saw these two boys who were holding hands and just smiling. And I still don't know who they are to this day. So shout out to you wherever you are. But, um, and it was the first time I'd really seen any queer person just being like happy in real life. Like just having this form of queer joy. And that was really life-changing for me. Um, and it was like at that time also that I started hearing about queer organizations like the GSA and others that was really working to form this community. Um, 
That's good. Yeah, and I'm um, a lot of sort of effort happened at that time. Tell us more about your experience at BYU. Things that you were helpful. This is sort of listeners. I think we're doing two parallel stories right now. You're coming out. <laughs> And your experience at BYU, I think we're kind of going chronologically because you're a freshman right now and you're not uh-huh. out. So whatever angle you want to go next, that's okay. up to you, Devorah. Yeah, let's. I'm going to go back in time just to make the timeline even more confusing. Good. But I, when I came to BYU, I feel like I had a lot of expectations um, about what that would be. Like I grew up on campus. Both my parents went to BYU. Um, it was kind of just, it was the place to be as a young person. And I was really excited for all the things that BYU was supposed to be. Um, cause I was told it was like, it was a stronghold for LDS people. Right. And it was a place where I feel like the line is always like, you can have the religious conversations in your science classes. And that's like the draw is that you can have these like intelligent like complicated discussions about religion and doctrine with people who shared similar values as you and i feel like part of the disillusionment that happened my freshman year is realizing that there's not really the space to share those opinions when the policy change happened suddenly there was like all these people around me who were discussing queer rights and whether or not gay people should even be allowed on campus in the first place um And that's really off-putting, especially when you are closeted and you can't share your opinion at all. Like, I'd be seen as suspicious to be like, actually, I think gay people should have rights was like really not an acceptable answer. And I kind of learned really fast that you were allowed to express your opinion, but only if it fit into kind of the view that was like allowed. And I feel like that was a really hard time for me was realizing that BYU wasn't everything that I thought it was going to be. Thanks for being honest. Keep telling your story. Um, yeah, so I think I think those policy changes was really what incited me to come out. And it was a couple years because I there was a lot of other factors. But I think that's what connected the dots there. Um, the next summer I was living outside of Utah for the first time and I had a lot of space and I was really thinking, um, I was kind of dreading going back to BYU because I had found a space outside of BYU where I could kind of be myself and I was out to a really small group of people and it was wonderful. And I just couldn't imagine going back to being back in the closet then. Um, so kind of on a whim, I, (laughs) decided to come out to everyone in my life because the thing for me is I just, I needed to be able to start having conversations and I need to start giving back to the community because I knew that I couldn't transfer out of BYU at that point. And I knew there were so many other freshmen and sophomores who it changes their lives to see themselves represented in any way. And if I could help even the smallest amount, that would have um, been worth it. It would have been worth all the things I had to go through to come out. Tell, and I think you mentioned before you came in on Instagram. Tell our listeners a little bit about your Instagram posts and the reaction. And I love, I, and listeners, before you answer that, I recognize the reason you came out was love. It, and you were thinking about other closeted people and helping them not to feel that they were alone was part of the reason you came out. And also then to just let people in to know who you are and you're walking this road and a lot of people when they come out, listeners, and some of you are those brave people that have come out, it's it's just to be authentic and have people accept it for who you really are versus who they think you are can be deeply healing emotionally, spiritually, and every level. Um, takes a lot of courage, but often can be very helpful. Share share more about your Instagram post and the reaction you got. Yeah, I like that you said it can be deeply healing. I feel like also technology can be deeply terrifying. It is <laughs> so scary. And I feel like before I came out, I was kind of just waiting for a time when I just wasn't going to be scared anymore. And I think I realized and came to terms with the fact that, that was never going to be an option. It was always going to be a terrifying experience. Um, so I came out, I don't like wordy Instagram captions. So I came out with a photo of myself that I'd taken in my backyard where I painted a rainbow on my face with acrylic paint I found. And I just said, 
so I'm gay or something like that. So I'm a lesbian. And then I turned off my phone. I hid it in my freezer um, because I didn't want to like look at it. I've later learned that you're not supposed to put iPhones in freezers, but that's neither here nor there. Um, and I just sat on the couch and watched TV for like three hours. And then when I turned my phone on, it was just hundreds of notifications. People I hadn't even thought about in years were reaching out to me, which is a really weird experience. Um, I think one of the best things that came from my coming out story or whatever is the number of people who reached out to me. I had parents of friends from high school who invited me to dinner and people who I didn't even know thought about me anymore who reached out and wanted to make sure I was okay. And I feel like that's one of the most rewarding things about coming out is there's always going to be people who react poorly. But I feel like there were so many more people, even people I wouldn't have thought about, that were incredibly kind and incredibly compassionate during that time. Well, some of the, do you remember some of the specific things people said that were, that still you remember the wording? Did any, anything come to your mind? This is just helpful for other people that want to do the right thing. Yeah, a couple. I remember my cousin reached out to me and she's like, no matter what happens, you're still going to be my cousin. And it was so like, it was so plain, honestly. It was so uncontroversial and it wasn't conditional. And that was really what I needed at that time. I remember there was a girl I was friends with in junior high and her mom called me and she left a message because my phone isn't on. But it's she's, in the freezer. It was in the freezer. <laughs> it's very unique. <laughs> um, and she left a message saying, hey, I want to have you over for dinner sometime. I just want to make sure you're getting fed during this time because she didn't care that I was gay. She just wanted to make sure that I was eating regularly. And that's what was important to her. And it was just like those little things of people caring, not about your orientation or anything else, but just about your well-being. that really touched me. Those are great. And they're not really complicated. I wrote down the first one on my piece of paper here, um, no matter what happens. And then you added the word that what that meant to you is unconditional. Just talk more about no matter what happens, what that, what does that mean for you? I really like the idea of unconditional love. I think that is the defining trait of the savior, right? Is that no matter what happens, he'll be there for you to carry your burdens and make sure that you're all right. And I feel like when someone comes out or when anything happens, really being able to show unconditional love for a person is the best thing you can do. Um, just this idea of Christ-like love and acceptance is the thing that can really change a person's life more than rules or doctrine or anything. Just being able to show Christ-like love. I love unconditional love. And I love, I, for those that aren't familiar with Becky McIntosh's book, Love Boldly, it's a great place to start if you're new in this space. Um, active LDS parents that have a son that came out, ended up marrying a man, and they just sort of said, you know, we're going to preserve the relationship. We're going to leave it all at the Savior's feet, and we're going to support our son and just honor our doctrine that he has agency to choose his path forward. And, you know, I'll always invite people to follow church teachings, but I'll also, which is, but I'll also allow people to exercise their agency to decide their best path forward. And then I like this line, no matter what happens, I'll, I'll walk with you. And my relationship with you is not conditional. I think it's harder sometimes with families because we care so much and we want to keep our eternal family together. And we feel like, well, if one's not on a different path, does that mess up our eternal family? And I, listeners, I just invite us not to decide now if we're going to have empty chairs at the table in the next life. Let's leave that at the Savior's feet and not mourn now a future outcome. Let's just more let's just focus on what we control which is often the family relationship and um, that's often more in our control than the individual choices family members make um, so that's the way i navigate that listeners is and i love no matter what happens i like that um and just how and i think unconditional love helps people make better decisions not that you're making I don't want to use that in a manipulative way. So then you make the decisions I want you to make. But I think if people are the recipient of unconditional love, 
it does help them maybe feel more empowered to make um, the right decisions in their life from a position of strength versus a position of reacting to what everybody else feels they should be doing. It's just, I don't quite know how to word that, but I've just thought that it helps people when they feel unconditional love. And maybe they go slower because they just don't feel all these voices around them telling how to live their life, that they can go slower as, as they make decisions going forward. Any, are you okay with any of that? Or No, I think that's great. I think you touched something great there. And the thing about unconditional love is I think it allows people to make mistakes and it allows them to make a decision, even if they don't know if it's the right one. And it kind of stops them from immobility. I think that's where I was for a long time before I came out is just immobile because I didn't know what was going to happen. And there was too many variables in the air, but people showing unconditional love allowed me to act recklessly in a good way because you kind of need to be a little reckless in order to make things happen in your life. Um, That's really insightful. You're 19 years old. One of the things my hypothesis is that queer people are more mature at an earlier age because they've had to navigate complicated things earlier and you've been doing this at BYU and being queer and you sometimes I think grow up at a younger age in a thoughtful way that's just a hypothesis I have if you're 19 and straight doesn't mean you're not grown up too I don't want to like diss anybody but talk more about BYU if you want to or coming out because I think there's maybe other difficult experiences you have and maybe some suggestions on what we can do better uh yeah I feel obligated to put my two cents for anyone who hasn't come out yet um you don't have to like it's scary and terrifying and there is consequences to your actions and i feel like it's hard to gloss over that um i one of the things that has come from my coming out and being very publicly queer on campus is i talk to a lot of underclassmen uh and the thing i always say is you have to make sure you're safe your safety has to be the most important thing in your life. Um, a lot of people feel pressure to come out because it's coming out day or because they want someone to know, but you always have to make sure that you're going to be in a safe environment where you'll be able to support yourself financially, physically, emotionally. And I feel like that can't be glossed over. Um, I also want to say that there's no shame in staying at BYU and there's no shame in leaving BYU. Um, if you're in your first two years at BYU, it is worth looking into what it would take to transfer um, or having a backup school or some contingency plan. I didn't do that. Um, and now I'm graduating from BYU and it turned out fine for me, but I think it would behoove anyone who is in their first years at BYU to know what their options are. Um, and if you want to stay, then that's fine, but it's your choice and you are cha- staying because you want to, not because you have to. Um, that's really good advice. I think that's very pragmatic advice. And I've heard <laughs> some people, um, if you're, you know, a, I love what you said to queer, I'm going to use that term as an umbrella term, um, first and second year BYU students. And I love you said you don't need to come out. I think that's a sign of grace that this is my story, but don't make it your story. If you feel you don't need or shouldn't come out, you can still be authentic and not out. I think that's really true. And I love your advice. And I've heard one person say, know what credits um, you are taking and if they're transferable to your potential backup school. And so you kind of have, if you think that's a possibility, you kind of have full understanding of just how this works. You don't have to sort of start your college experience over. Mm -hmm. So I think there's just pragmatic advice in what you're saying. And I think you would I mean, I, if you're queer and you're talk to, well, you, uh, let me ask you this question. We'll go back to BYU. Talk to queer Latter-day Saints that are thinking of going to BYU. Think long and hard. Think long and hard. Um, I only applied to BYU. I didn't apply to any of those schools, um, which sounds cocky, but it, it was really the only place I could see myself. Um, but if, if you are queer going into BYU, Look at your options, make a pros and cons list, and also know that for the most part, people aren't exaggerating their experiences. I grew up in Utah Valley, so I really expected 
it to be similar. I found a group of members in my hometown, American Fork, that were able to see things with nuance and were very accepting of queer people and were very kind to me. And I will always be grateful to those people. Um, and it was because of them that I expected to have the same experience at BYU and for it to just be really easy to find people who thought about things like I did. And that's not really the experience. I have been really lucky to now find a community that I love and I have a great friend group, but it's not, it's not easy. It's not an easy thing to do. And if that's something that's important to you, there are other places you can go. And also, kind of just reiterate, there's no shame in not going to BYU. You don't have to think you're stronger than all the other people. You don't have to go to BYU as a queer student just to prove something. Like, it's not worth it. Your mental health and safety is always more important. It's good advice. Would you, I got all these questions come in my mind, listeners. If you could go back um, to age 17, 18, when you're thinking about going to BYU, you have a unique story because you actually started BYU during high school. Would you do it all the same or would you have actually not gone to BYU? Well, I don't, I don't regret any of the friends I made at BYU and I've had some great experiences at BYU that I wouldn't change now. I, but I don't think if I had to make that decision again, that I would have gone to BYU. I think many things would have been simpler. That's, that's honest answer. Um, it's an honest answer. Talk about, um, I don't know if you want to talk more about um, negative experiences at BYU or positive experiences at BYU. Are there more things on your mind? Yeah, I kind of want to talk about the new anti-protest policies. Is that okay? Sure. So just as backstory, a couple months ago, BYU put in a new policy where you cannot protest on BYU campus anymore or on BYU property, which includes the big Y on the Y on the mountain. Um, and I feel like this has really marked a change in BYU's policy about queer people because since really in the time I've been at BYU, um, there's been a lot of demonstrations. I don't want to say protests because they really haven't been protests. But there's been a lot of demonstrations of queer people just to let other people know that queer people exist on campus. And kind of like as a visibility measure, you've seen a huge influx in these off-campus groups. There's the Rainbow Collective now. There's um, still GSA. Is GSA the same as USGA? I actually don't know. And maybe I'm just using an old name, so I'm going to use GSA. Go ahead. I think USGA is the one at BYU. And yeah. the GSA is the one they have in high schools, okay. actually. Now okay. that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> okay. But um, there's been a huge influx of these off-campus clubs and organizations. Um, and to immediately after these organizations start like getting established, having events to really get away, take away their right to um, protest or gather on campus really hurt the community. Um, I know I'm involved in the Rainbow Collective and I was volunteering on Rainbow Day, which happens, I think it's March 4th every year. Um, and the idea is that anyone who wants to will dress up in rainbow colors and wear pins and paraphernalia just to let other people know that queer people exist on campus because really they do. There's a huge number of queer people on campus. Um, and this year I was giving out like stickers or pins or something. And because we had two or more people gathered, they had us escorted off campus to make sure that we weren't having a demonstration. Um, and it's stuff like this that wouldn't be applied to other organizations that I think is really where we start to get detrimental because the thing is, I love BYU and I really want queer people to stay at BYU. But when they act, when... When they act like this, it's really hard to support them because, like I've said, I talk to a lot of underclassmen and I want to be able to convince them that BYU is changing and it's going to be a great place. But it's hard when every, every inch <laughs> is gained at such like extreme measures. It's honest. Um. This is a triggering statement you've heard before, but I'd love you to talk about why that's a painful statement. People would say, well, just leave. 
And I've learned not to say that. I've learned that that's not fair to just say, well, just leave. This is, this is another one that's just, it's highly individual. And my response is always, I could if I would. I would if I could. I would if I could. Um, but the thing is, it's just not viable for a lot of people. Um, I am two months from graduating. I can't leave. Um, and there comes a point where you just have too much stake in the game. BYU requires a lot of religion credits, so it's really hard to transfer out because all those religion credits are a wash if you were to go to another school. Um, your friend group is all at that school. Um, your entire support system. Um, I, I wish it was viable that every queer student who didn't feel welcome at BYU had a way out, but that's just not the reality for most people. Yeah, I, I've learned to be in not, I probably might have even said that 10 years ago, but I've learned after talking to queer BYU students, that's a really painful thing when we would say, well, just leave. Um, because you've spent your life preparing, it's been your dream, the work to get into BYU, the quality of the education. And then just to say leave is really dismissive. I, I think, you know, I think we're called to be gatherers, not sifters. So I think everything Christ taught in his ministry was to try to teach inclusion and to help gather us. And so I would hope that the experience at BYU improves and um, that we would never say, well, just leave. If you're having a difficult experience there, that to me just seems dismissive. Um, Zion, to me, listeners, isn't where we're all the same. Um, sexual orientation, race, gender, um, different political parties. Zion is where we have unity and diversity, and we're comfortable with diversity. And the body of Christ is when we look at all parts of the body of Christ and say they're equally needed. Um, I don't want to talk too much on this podcast and take your time, but I've learned that I need queer people in my life because they've helped me understand the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way straight people haven't. They've taught me about inclusion, love, acceptance. They've taught me what it's like to listen to people on the margins and give me better tools to minister to people on the margins. So when I say just leave, that may simplify things because I don't have to see a, a protest or see Rainbow Day and sort of deal with the reality there's queer people at BYU, but I don't think it's creating Zion. And I don't think it's the finish line of Christ's ministry that seemed to be focused on those that had the hardest road and did everything to help them feel included. So I'm just aware that my feeling is, and I support BYU, I don't sort of legislate what BYU had to do. I'm just comfortable saying there's just more work that needs to be done at BYU because we have all straight kids that are home listeners. We have six of them, and they've all gone to BYU, and they've all had a really good experience. Um, but I recognize if I didn't have all, if we didn't have all straight kids, that they might not be having the as equal of experience, and I think they should. I think the gospel of Jesus Christ, a religious institution, hopefully when it's to the finish line, everybody's having the same experience there. Um, so that's just some thoughts. Um, I think it's been really difficult for LGBTQ students, and I think some will choose to go there. I probably, if you're queer um, and thinking about BYU, I think I'd invite you to pray about it. And um, I think Heavenly Father will help you know how to navigate that. I think, um, I think it'll improve over time, but I think you shouldn't go there thinking it'll improve while you're there. I think you have to go to BYU with the reality of this is where BYU is, and um, which is different than in the 80s, where if you identified as gay, then you were not allowed at BYU. We have a gay honor code officer. So obviously some things have changed in my lifetime. And I think things will continue to change, but I don't think you should go to BYU thinking it'll change in the next four years. But where it is right now may be okay for you to be able to be okay there. And um, just some thoughts. Are you okay with what I said, Devorah? Yeah. Um, I just wanted to add that kind of to your just leave comment, I don't know where that leaves us. Like if your ideal world is all the queer people leave campus, that's like 10% of the student body. I don't know if that number is true, but if you, I think that's the right number. Um, and then where does that leave us? Because so many of the queer members I know either are or were some of the most hardworking people 
an award. They really pull everything together. They dedicate everything they have to each other and to the church. And some of the queer lit organizations I've been a part of are some of the most efficiently run dedicated people. Um, and by telling a whole group of people to just leave, I don't know where you leave BYU or the church. Um, Cause I don't think making a school more homogenous is making it better. Um, and if you tell the queer people to leave, like, then anyone who's different feels unincluded. What would you say to somebody who said, well, BYU's never told the queer people to leave. That's never been like a line from a speech. (laughs) Um, And I think the answer in my mind would be some of these things you're talking about. It hasn't been a direct statement, but it's been the culture and some of the experiences people are feeling. That's how, I mean, I don't want to answer it for you, but that's how I'd answer it. Um, I'm going to answer this really roundaboutly. My grandmother had this trick that when she didn't want people at her house anymore, she would slowly turn up the thermostat, just like three (laughs) degrees every five minutes until they left. Now you can do that on your phone. (laughs) Um, And she didn't ask anyone to leave, but they still felt weirdly obligated to because they just kept getting more and more uncomfortable. And I feel like that's really the way BYU treats queer students. I like that analogy. So listeners, this is a podcast a little bit about when we know better, we do better. I think the the doctrinal foundation that we go back to, that I go back to, is Christ and his ministry, Um, the body of Christ that Peter talked about in Corinthians 12, if I'm remembering, that every part of the body of Christ is needed. We can't look at one and say it's more worthy or less worthy. And to me, Zion is where um, our queer members um, feel welcome. belonging doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. So you tried to fit in for a long time and then you had the courage to come out. So now we know who you are and um, it's sort of on us now to create a feeling of belonging for you so that you can authentically belong on who you are. And it's just a space in our culture, in our church, in our religious institutions that we just have work to do. Um, I don't know exactly how that plays out, but I just feel like we're not at the finish line. And one of the purposes of this podcast, if you're an ally, is just to invite you what you can do in your circle of influence to improve the experience. Um, you know, and some of you that, and I, you can't change a lot of things that aren't in our circle of influence that perhaps we'd like to, but let's focus on what we can do. More thoughts that come to your mind you'd like to share? Yeah, part of circle of influence um i think we focus a lot on whether institutions are welcoming which is really important but ultimately institutions are made up of people uh and if you're one of those people who's like just leave or um trying to make trying to make other spaces comfortable like go to a place where you're comfortable in any issue then i feel like that's something you are obligated to work on yourself. Um, because you can want BYU to change all that you want, but if you're not being a welcoming person at BYU, then it doesn't matter what BYU does if the people are still the same. Um, and I think there's a lot of change that can be made on an individual level, even before a policy level, that can make BYU a safer, more inclusive place. I really like that. So talk about what advice would you give straight students at BYU? Um, to just make the experience better for queer students. Yeah. Um, queer people are everywhere, not in like an apocalyptic sense, but like in a <laughs> way with words, <laughs> be cognizant sense. Um, so if you make jokes, I've been in a lot of classes where someone's like, Oh, that's so gay. Or like, that's whatever. I can't even think of anything right off the head, but it's just, it's been a punchline and there's always someone who's going to hear it. And it, even if it wasn't meant that way, you, just made that space a little less safe. And even if you didn't think that, like somebody else is going to notice. Um, so like I've had professors that are like, oh, this is a good BYU party. Only girls, girls only dance with boys, you know, and it's a statistics class and you don't even think anything above it, about it. But in saying that you've made it just marginally less safe, you made someone marginally less comfortable. And those things, they really build up and they compound. And it's really hard to be fighting all the time to really carve out a space for yourself. So by doing some of that work for people, that's really important. And also, if you're a straight person, it's really important to call out other people when they do things. It's exhausting having to correct people all the time. 
and make sure people are using the right terminology. And if you can bear a little of that burden as an ally, that's really, I think, what makes you that a good ally That was a really community. good segment. There's so many things we can do within the doctrine of our church listeners. I mean, some people would think, well, all this is just about queer people wanting our doctrine to change or they're going to leave the church. But a lot of this is just about what we can do within our doctrine to improve the experience for queer people. And there's no place for queer jokes. There's no doctrinal foundation or I look at Christ where, and I've, I start to hear those now. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. I hear them in my circle and I hear them through all my queer friends' ears and they affect me. I don't want to say they affect as much as queer people because I don't want to sort of, but they really affect me and they hurt now. And it, it, and I find when I'm in situations where I don't know what's going to be said, I'm a little cautious because I'm wondering what's going to be, will hurt my queer friends. And it makes me wonder what your life's like, wondering what situation you're going to be in with that you're going to hear another experience like that in the middle of a lecture or in a class or in a, just all the, and so you're just guarded um, or just another kind of dart coming through your heart. Um, and so you're wounded and you just want to protect yourself. I love what you said about allies. And I, um, I want to do a better job of that because sometimes I hear jokes. I don't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I might tweet about it. That doesn't really solve the situation. <laughs> but maybe talking to that person and under, helping them understand why that was not an appropriate thing to do. I think some people, most people would probably say, I never thought of that. I never realized there could be people would take it that way and say, I, but I love your suggestion for allies. There should just, and what are think? have you had some positive things that BYU professors, friends have done to sort of proactively give you cover? Has there ever been a time when you can remember where something just positive happened sort of spontaneously? Um, I remember one professor, it was a classics class. So it was about Greek and Roman literature. Um, and we were talking about Achilles and Patroclus who are rumored to be lovers. If you're not familiar with the story. I'm not. Are they, well, go ahead, Dylan. There, there's okay. So Achilles is a soldier and he has this very good friend, Patroclus who comes with him to all of the battles. So these are two men. These are two men. Yes. Sorry. Um, and when Patroclus dies, he says that he loves Patroclus so much he doesn't want him to pass the afterlife until Achilles dies. And he wants their ashes to be mixed together so they can dwell together for all eternities. And it's a beautiful love story. And studying at BYU was a weird experience. Um, but I remember a professor did one thing. He, one, he didn't treat it any different than any other love story you would find in classic literature. Um, but also he had this segment, just one slide at the end of his lecture about like being queer on campus is really darn hard. And there's places you can go if you need help. And it was just one slide with like phone numbers and people to contact. But just knowing that there's professors who are like, yeah, this exists makes a huge difference. Just like acknowledging people's existence. I love that. I just, I look back at what Jesus did and Jesus signaled that he was a safe person with everybody he was with. And I think that's one of the things allies or professors can do is just like that last slide. Signal I'm a safe person by connecting people to resources. And I'm assuming a professor like that, if I were queer at BYU and needed to talk to somebody, I would know that person could be a safe person for me. As the last year of being a YSA Bishop um, listeners, I started to put kind things about gay people on social media. I just linked to the church's website and Mm -hmm. church comments that were positive. It was nothing particularly radical. There's good content out there. And I was amazed at what happened. I actually didn't have any more um, queer people come out to me, but um, a bunch of straight kids said, okay, I can talk to this guy. I am not gay, but I've never really opened up to somebody about this part of my life. And just because he's kind to everybody, I know he's a safe person for me. And it's a great principle for parents or local leaders. If we just say kind things about everybody, um, in every group of people, maybe there's some boundaries to that, like people that are actively taking away our freedoms. If I'm Ukrainian and I'm looking what's going on with the Russian leadership, I'm, you know, maybe that's a boundary there. If there's toxic people in your life, you're in an abusive situation, there's boundaries there. But I think I love what that professor did. It was really simple. Yeah. And I think 
even though you just do little things, people notice. Like, I think people will be shocked at the number of things I noticed before I came out. Um, there was a lot of celebrities that came out. I know Stacey Harkey came out when I was around that age. Um, there was the Matt Easton, devo- or what was it? Commencement speech. Yeah. And there were so many other things and just seeing how everyone else in your life reacts to it, that stuff makes a difference. And you notice it, even if it's, I wonder why they didn't like this post or I wonder why they did like this post or things like that. A comment on someone else's Instagram page, like people see those stuff and they notice it. It's really interesting. So that's a thought. Um, if we're parents and some, there is a woman that came out at BYU graduation. I can't, I think her last name is or, um, I don't want to mispronounce her I name. I don't remember, but I know she this. opened up her graduation robe, and there were pride colors in the inside of her robe. And KSL's written a story about it. It's I. It's a three-letter short last name that starts with O. And I think a story like that, like Matt Easton from a couple of years ago, we could just talk about in our family situations and our church situations, and say, use that as a teaching moment. How should we respond when somebody comes out? Um, and I think we can respond in a positive way. And then, it, to your point, it signals to everybody in that conversation that's listening to everything being said, okay, that's a safe person. I was at an event a couple of weeks ago, listeners um, speaking about this subject, and um, parents of a 13-year-old um, queer elder, you know, one of their kids at 13 had come out to their parents. And I just looked at this mom and dad, and I got really emotional. Because I just recognized that something was going on in that household that made it safe that this kid came out at 13. And here they were at an event learning more about this. And I just thought this 13-year-old kid is not going to be walking alone for all these years. His parents are going to be walking with him. I think it was a young man. And I just thought that's a beautiful family culture that's been developed where we consistently say kind things about other people. Even in this space, our leaders have done that. They've said some difficult things. I acknowledge that, but there's also some wonderful things that have been said. Elder Ballard, Elder Anderson, there's some wonderful things that have been said. So we can do a family home evening about this in our home. And if you look at the church's website, there's a wonderful page about transgender Latter-day Saints and the world that they walk. It's just one page, but the quotes there are helpful and just have a conversation in Release Society, Young Men's, Young Women's, Elders Quorum, about this one webpage about transgender Latter-day Saints and how should we treat people. And these are a few of the statements on the side. And invite people to, you know, not form opinions about trans people without meeting trans people. Um, they're God's children. So what you said was fascinating to me, that you noticed everybody's responses to these more public things like Stacey Harkey and Matt Easton that often do generate a conversation or people like or not like, and what that sent message that sent to you. More thoughts, Devorah? Yeah, I, I think, I don't know. I think the takeaway there is just, you have to be vigilant. If you're going to be an ally, you have to be an ally all the time um, because people notice discrepancies and people notice one mistake can erase a lot of good and not to put undue pressure on people because it's impossible to be perfect. But I think it's important to be careful. Um, and I think the difference between a normal person and someone who's an ally, like we were talking about earlier is being able to either acknowledge those mistakes that you've made or be careful enough that like they happen so rarely, it doesn't affect other people. Um, I'm in a Facebook group, and we'll link to it in the podcast, that's called Ministering to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. It's um, just, it's straight people and queer people that are having a discussion of what we can do at the local level to support. And local level meaning sort of our circle of influence, whether it's a ward, a stake, a seminary institute. Um, and there's a lot of really good discussions there. Uh, a high school seminary teacher posted, and she said, um, and I'll, this is the question I'm going to ask you. Um, you know, what can I, what should I say to my queer students um, as they come out? And what should I, and a second question, what should I do in the culture of my seminary? So if there's closeted queer students, they're having a, at least a neutral slash positive experience. It was a great question. There's a lot of really good answers there, but I just love 
this high school seminary teacher recognized, and I think a lot of high school seminary teachers particularly are aware that there's queer students in their classroom and want to do the right thing. So what would you say to that teacher? I think that's a really good question. Um, I think it would be really cool if I had a seminary teacher who was that open about questions like that. Um, seminary is a very unique environment because especially, I don't know if it was here in Utah, but here in Utah, everyone you know is a member of the church. Everyone you're in seminary with is a member of the church. And you kind of know the rules and the teachings already. So I feel like the most important thing in that setting is not to tell people like, oh, this is what you should and shouldn't do, or this is what the church recommends, because they know all of that already. They've done the research themselves nine times out of 10. But just to be like, even if you don't follow the rules, even if you make a mistake or do something that the church would frown upon, you have a place to be. Like you have someone you can come to and talk to about it if something goes wrong or if something happens, because I feel like once again, safety is the most important thing. And queer children don't always have a lot of people they can go to safely. I like that. Um, that's my experience too. You're walking encyclopedias <laughs> on this topic and you generally, I mean, I think the word association is when sometimes when we hear you've come out, our first reaction is to remind you of the teachings of the church. Um, and my experience- It's the ingrained and, missionary. And the church is, has a section, I put it in my book, of what bishops should, when someone comes out, the questions they should ask, they're open-ended questions. Tell me about your experience. Tell me what this means to you. They're, they're not yes or no, and they're not teaching moments. They're asking with open-ended questions, which is really thoughtful. Um, and that's on the church's, you know, and you can find that on our website, listenlearnandlove.org, because it's really good questions. Now, back to, uh, so I loved your answer. Talk about what a seminary teacher can do if actually no one is out to him or her, but they just suspect mathematically that they've got a couple <laughs> queer kids in their class, high school classroom, just to know that they're safe. Um, I'm going to take some words from my younger sibling who I was talking to about this a couple of days ago. Um, don't force anyone to have a testimony. This is like people, even people who aren't queer, when they're, how old are you in seminary? 14 to 15? They're going to have a lot of complicated feelings about everything. And it's really hard when those kids are put on the spot to bear their testimony or pray or have opinions about things um, because you're either forcing someone to out themselves as queer or having questions about the church or you're forcing them to lie. And I feel like that's a difficult position to put a kid in. I love that. I'm just kind of skimming my book. Um, so I won't spend a lot of time just like wasting your time while I'm skimming my book. <laughs> I will read this. I found this just real quickly. This is from um, a mom that says, teachers, please be aware you likely have an LGBTQ student or two in every class. Please let them know that being gay is not a sin and it's not a choice. That way, You could do that just by teaching from the church's website. Please be aware that LGBT youth and their family often feel alone. Let them know you love them and listen to their experiences. Ask how you can help them. We now have openly gay missionaries serving missions. And um, when we hear openly gay, we shouldn't think listeners' behavior. We should sort of train our minds, brains. That's just orientation. Um, and they are some of our finest young adults. How wonderful. We can do a better job of supporting and loving and recognizing their talents as gifts as the body of Christ. Let's make sure that all of God's children regardless of their sexual and gender orientation or gender identity, know they are loved and needed. All of our youth need encouragement and understanding. So um, I just think we can do better. And I think sometimes the things we don't do well in classes is sort of, we create villains to sometimes drive home our doctrine. And so when we teach that marriage is between a man and a woman, we sometimes then sort of villainize LGBTQ people. Um, and I think a higher, holier way of teaching is we just teach our doctrine. We don't need a villain. We don't need a bogeyman. We don't need to, and we just, then we can talk about there's other people that are lived, just like maybe that professor did at BYU, just factually say there are other people that choose a different life. They're still Heavenly Father's children. We love and support them. We leave judgment to our Savior. And, and I think it's just a higher, holier way of teaching. So we can still teach our doctrine and just create space for other people that choose different paths. More thoughts that come to your mind, Devorah? Yeah, I think one of the things you were talking about, classes where there's not any out queer kids, 
or out LGBTQ Good. kids. Um, I think a lot of people have bad opinions when they're 14 to 15. I had off. I was a terrible person when I was a 15 year old. Uh, I was a homophobic piece of trash. I'm going to be honest. And I feel like it's a good time for seminary teachers to really teach that kind of love and kindness. And that seminary teacher could be the first person who really like questions those ideas. And that can be, even if that person isn't queer, they don't really interact with queer people in their life. That can be really um, impactful for them to like kind of learn that what they say impacts people and that there's like, a real human element to their opinions. I like that. This is really helpful. I realize now we're at the hour mark where I'm kind of trying to sign off, but this is a really good discussion just about your story, what was painful at BYU, what was helpful, the reality of what BYU is like for a lot of people right now, what we can do better. I think there's a lot of listeners, this podcast that want to hear your story so when we know better, we do better. And they're coming from a point of love of recognizing, I just, want to get educated so I don't make the mistakes. That's part of the reason I'm in this space, listeners, is repentance for all the mistakes I made up until I was a YSA bishop and let a couple gay men tell me about being gay. And Heavenly Father just sort of gave me a rebuke of the Spirit that I'd let straight people define this group of people for me my whole life and to kind of start from scratch and let LGBTQ people define them for me. And not to develop opinions about groups of people until I talk to a lot of people in that group. And and that's been transformative for me. It's kind of broken my heart and opened my heart and helped me grow. I don't want to imply gay people are in my life to make me better. Um, that they exist just for my sort of growth. That's not true. Um, my role uh, on the Good Samaritan is to help LGBT people, but they've also helped me in many ways. And I think that's the interwoven nature of our baptism covenants is more bear, more in barren comfort is because when we support each other, we all grow. I sometimes think culturally, well, I'm supposed to work out my salvation. It's kind of me and my individual silo. It's between me and God, and I separate myself from the world. But I look at my baptism covenants that I think go horizontal to other people, and so much of working out my salvation, I believe, is is my interaction and lifting of other people and their interaction and lifting of me that helps all of us get back to heaven because we're all helping each other on our individual roads. So it's very, for me, that's what Zion is, is this very interwoven, not this sort of Puritan, I'll work out my salvation, you work out yours, we'll figure it all out, see where we all end up. I think it's, that's what Zion is to me. I wondered about the city of Enoch and how they got translated and but one of the things we know is no poor among them. And to me, that is, you know, lifting the hands of those symbolically of those that walk harder roads. And obviously our queer letter to saints do. Any last thoughts that come to your mind before we sign off? No, I think that was great. I really like you talked about building Zion. And um, I think the important thing about that is just like any city, if you go to any major city, you will see people from all walks of life. Um, and I think in order for Zion to really be a good place, um, to be a place that works, you have to include anyone, no matter their experiences. And at the end of the day, that's that's what unconditional love is all about. That's what Christ love is all about. I agree with that. It's taken me a while to get to that. I thought Zion was kind of the way it was when I grew up in a very homogeneous community. And now I recognize Zion is really what Christ showed. And the, the things that he demonstrated in his ministry and the things you're doing and you're part of Zion, and we're called to be gatherers, not sifters. We're called to be inclusive. Um, I think those are equal co-commandments, to love one another and to love God. To me, there's not ranking in those commandments. They're one great commandment. But I know for me, listeners, when I'm loving and supporting other people sort of unconditionally, then it helps me in my relationship with God, my own commandment keeping. So I think those two commandments are very interwoven. Um, you're a remarkable woman. Thank you. Um, you are 19. You're a graduate from college in a really hard degree. Um, a degree that, even though I'm sort of analytical, I'm not that analytical. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just want you to, I want you to know um, what a remarkable person you are. You've also graduated from BYU being queer. When I went to BYU, it was a, it was a challenge just to graduate. I wasn't navigating my sexual orientation. I wasn't wondering what I'd hear at a class. I wasn't 
na- navigating any of that. It was hard being at BYU as a graduate student. I don't make, know if that makes it harder or not harder, but it was an intense period of my life to be able to get a BYU degree. And, and I think about what would it be like if, you know, if I were walking your shoes as a woman in a degree that in my day, mostly men would have this degree. I, is that still That's true? still the case. <laughs> um, so you may be walking some of that road. Um, people wondering why a woman's, and that could be a whole other podcast, and you're queer. Um, but it's, it's an incredible accomplishment. So you should be proud of yourself. You're out. You're open about who you are. You're helping a lot of underclassmen that are looking for your steady thoughts. Since you're further this road, you're showing grace to BYU for what it's done, but you're also honest with some of the difficult experiences. I think you have a great life ahead of you. Um, I think you've put a wonderful foundation down in just your work skills, your school habits, your love of all people. You have a future. When I meet with somebody like you, I just invite you to continue to go slow, continue to write your own story. Um, I think you've invited people that were queer and don't feel they um, need to come out. I think everybody needs to write their own story, but I think Devorah's story helps you write your own story. The principles she shared, the insights, if you're queer, give you foundational principles to write your story. Some that are teenagers feel like they kind of want to write their own story right now and exactly figure out what fork they're going to do in the road. Um, Mixed orientation, marriage, celibate, or same-sex marriage. And I think it's okay to push that out a little bit. Just get become your personal best spiritually, emotionally. Get your career and your academic under your belt if you can or some of that before you're facing these forks in the road. So you're making them as your very best personal self. And I think you're doing a really good job of that. Thank you. So now that I went off on that long segment, I want to see if you have anything else to say. Uh, I just want to say we talked a lot about whether or not you want to go to BYU, being an underclassman at BYU. So if it's all right with you, I'd like to leave my contact information. Please. For anyone who has questions about my experience, about whether or not they should go to BYU, I'm more than willing to talk to anyone who wants to talk. And should we put that in the show notes? Sounds good. Okay. We'll put that in the show notes so you can talk. Um, Devorah Stuckey, great job. Um, you have a great life ahead of you. And um, um, the principles that have taught it in your foundation to stand up for your, the principles been taught in your family circle um, have really helped you. Um, I sense that to stand up for yourself, to be honest, to be strong, are probably principles that are part of your family culture. Um, so this is Richard Osler and Devorah Stuckey signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.